Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. I'm really excited about this series. I'm really enjoying it. I hope y'all are too. Uh, I only realized this week that the tree sways. I find that very cool. Uh, we've got very fancy graphics. Uh, but we were continuing this series tonight, and, and you remember that over the course of this series, we're talking about our callings. And we're, we're reading the call story of Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. And so if you want to go ahead and, and, and put your tab there, that's where we're going to be all five weeks. We're going to read 3 and 4 and see Moses being called by God. And you remember we started the series, and Moses is working out in a field for his father-in-law Jethro. And then all of a sudden, he looks over and he sees a burning bush. And God speaks to him through this burning bush, and he gives him a task. He says, Moses, you are going to be the one that is going to free the enslaved Israelites out of Egypt. You're going to liberate. Well, as we've already seen so far over the last couple of weeks, Moses responds to God with a bunch of excuses, hence the name of our, uh, our series. Moses, from the very beginning, he hides his face. He tries to, to wriggle out of his calling from the jump. And so the first week, God tells him his mission, that he's going to, to free the Israelites, and he says, who am I? Who am I to do something like that? And then last week, uh, we saw Moses ask God, well, who are you? If the, people, if the people ask me who sent me, who even are you? Uh, tonight, we're going to be looking at Moses' third excuse. And this is one that I think a lot of us struggle with. It is one that is really very common in our culture and in, in, in all of us. I, I know it is one that I have regularly wrestled with. It's a question I've asked many times. Uh, so I want us to go ahead and we're going to read the first five verses of Exodus chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, of course, you can pull those out. Always we'll have it up here on the screen. Let's see Moses' excuse. Says that Moses answered, but suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say, the Lord didn't appear to you. The Lord said to him, what's in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw the staff on the ground and it became a snake. And Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and grasped it, and it became a staff in his hand, so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Okay, week one, who am I? And week two, who are you? And this week, it's what about them? Moses says, what if the people don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they doubt me? What if they think I'm weird? What about them? And God responds by turning Moses' staff into a snake. And maybe that seems kind of strange to us at first. But what God is doing is he's showing Moses that he is God. And if he has the power to turn a wooden stick into a snake, into a live animal, then he has the power to see Moses through the opinions and, and judgments and naysaying that, that he may encounter. God is promising to equip him because that's what God does. 
Again, as all of us think about our callings, this is important for us to know. This is what God does. He calls us to things, but he doesn't leave us empty-handed. He equips us for those things. But still, that doesn't change the fact that, that many of us struggle with the exact same thing that Moses did here in our passage. We care about what people think of us. We do. The opinions of others are, are incredibly powerful. They influence us. The truth is, so many of us ask that question all the time. Well, what about them? What'll they think? What are they gonna say about all of this? What about them? This is an excuse that really does stop a lot of us in our tracks. We wanna do something or, or try something or we feel, feel called to something, but we're afraid of what others might think and so we don't. We crave the approval of others and that has always been true, but in the age of social media, it is especially true. We go online and we seek likes and shares and retweets. I don't even know if it's called that anymore because Twitter changed its name, but you get the point. Uh, and this, this, gives us, uh, this gives our brains a shot of dopamine. And we like that feeling. We feel validated. And then that good feeling causes us to prioritize that question. We say, sure, I, I want to do this thing. Sure, this thing would be right. This thing would be good. This thing would be successful. But what about them? But the problem with a what about them life is that it prevents us from being all that we could be. I want to tell y'all uh, a story tonight about the greatest game of basketball that anyone has ever played. Uh, I'm a huge NBA fan, if that's not obvious by my Mavericks polo, but uh, it happened in Hershey, Pennsylvania on March 2nd, 1962. It was a cold, rainy night, and there were about 4,000 people in the stands. The Philadelphia Warriors were playing the New York Knicks. And the star of the Warriors team was someone who, whose name you may have heard before, Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt was a seven foot, one inch scoring machine. He is still considered to be one of, if not the greatest scorer in NBA history. This year, the 1961-1962 season, Wilt averaged 50 points a game, averaged. To put that in context for, for people who aren't uh, super up on, on uh, basketball, today, when an NBA player, when any player scores over 50 points, it is all over ESPN for at least a week or two. My favorite player, my beloved, Luka Doncic, he, he's the star of the Dallas Mavericks. He's one of the best players in the NBA. I would say the best. You can disagree, just don't tell me. Uh, <laughs> But Luca has been in the NBA for five seasons, and he has five games with 50 points or more. He averages one a season, and that is considered to be top-notch, best of the best, really impressive. The point is, Wilt was really good at basketball, amazing, except for one part of his game. He was a terrible free-throw shooter. Over his career, Chamberlain uh, made a pathetic 54% of his free throw attempts. But on March 2nd, 1962, Wilt did the seemingly impossible. He scored over 100 points. That's the most points in NBA history. To be honest, it'll never happen again. 
I don't even think anyone will ever get close. It's, it's, it's a record that'll probably never be beaten. But that night when Will scored this 100 points, this, this massive amount, record-shattering amount of points, he hit 28 out of 32 free throws. That is an 87.5% free throw rate, which is phenomenal, fantastic. So how did he do it? Well, that night, he used the granny shot. If you're not familiar with the granny shot or the underhanded shot, let me show you a short clip. This is the only player in recent NBA history that, that employs this shot. The only player. Nobody else will do this. So let's watch. Let's watch him do it. Ball appearance, but Julia is the baseball reporter uh, for the Astros. Look like they're going to have a very good year coming up. I hope so. There it is. Underhanded. Oh, he makes it. This young man was shooting terribly from the free throw line at Louisville. He switched to underhanded after his freshman year. And he has gone from a bad free throw shooter to an excellent free throw shooter. You just don't see young kids doing this anymore, but he can make them. He's got a great touch. Two for two. Uh, okay. The granny shot. It's something uh, that, that, uh, that Wilt only began using in that 1961-1962 season. But it turned him just like it turned that player from an abysmal free throw shooter into a pretty decent one. But here's where the story gets strange. That was the only year that Wilt ever shot free throws underhanded. After that, he, he went back to his normal shot, overhanded shot, uh, and his percentage went way down, way, way down. In fact, in later years, he had seasons where he shot 44%, 41%, and 38%, which is really, really bad. So why did Wilt give it up? He played the greatest game in NBA history using that shot, and then he stopped. Well, if you want to know the answer, you can find it in, in Wilt, uh, in his autobiography. He talks about that game, he talks about that season, and he talks about the granny shot. And he said, I stopped using it because, quote, it made me look silly and I looked like a wimp. He gave it up because of how it looked to other people. And he's not the only one. When Shaquille O'Neal, another big man who was notoriously awful at free throws, when he was asked why he didn't try this, this style of shot, he said, it looks weird and boring. Here's my point. There is a way for big men to shoot free throws and make them at a significantly better rate. But they don't because they wonder, what about them? What if people think I look dumb? What if people think I look silly? What if people laugh at me? That's exactly what was stopping Moses too. Keep in mind that, that God had told him that he was going to free thousands upon thousands of people from slavery. He was going to do something incredible, something world-altering. But Moses, just like Wilt, was worried about how he might look to other people. He was worried he was going to look silly or crazy or delusional. See, the power that the perceptions of other people have on us is something we really have to be aware of. 
because it can slow us down, it can trip us up, it can make us less effective, just like it did with Moses, just like it did with Wilt. That question, what about them? It can be an extremely potent motivator and also demotivator. I think we know that. I'm sure most of us could, could name a time in our lives when we wanted to do something and we didn't for fear of what others would think. And I'm sure we could also come up with a time in our lives, maybe many, when we did do something that we shouldn't have done for the exact same reason. That's why God performs the miracle of Moses' staff becoming a snake. He takes something, something simple and ordinary and he transforms it into something unrecognizably different. God is trying to give Moses a sign that he's gonna be the same way. He may be simple, he may be ordinary, but he is going to transform. He is going to be a means through which the Israelite people see God's goodness and God's power. What God wants to show Moses in our passage is that nothing can stop God. He is more than able. Nothing can stop God, not even the opinions of others. What God wants is for him to stop saying, what about them? And to start saying, so what about them? This is the model that Jesus so often shows us in the gospels. If there's one person in the Bible who is constantly questioned and doubted and judged by those around him, it's Jesus. Several times throughout his life, people are outraged by the claims that he makes and the things that he says. So much so that at the very beginning of his ministry in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is preaching in the temple. He's being real and authentic with the people. And this is what happens. This is Luke chapter four. It says, when they heard all of this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, they drove him out of town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The people in Jesus' hometown try to literally throw him off a cliff. And Jesus' response is to just go on his way, to continue his ministry. See, Jesus is one who constantly says, so what about them? Why should I let anyone stop me from fulfilling my mission and my ministry? Why should I let anyone keep me from loving the least and the last and the lost and the broken they don't like it, they don't understand it, so what? Jesus never let the opinions of those around him stop him from doing the right thing. And neither should we. We've gotta do what we're called to, what we know is good regardless of what people think. We need to be like Rick Barry. Uh, you know, Wilt Chamberlain, he may have let the opinions of others stop him from shooting the granny shot, but Rick Barry didn't. In fact, he became pretty much synonymous with the underhand free throw. If you don't know who Rick Barry is, he is another Hall of Fame NBA talent. Uh, he played at the same time as, as Wilt, they were contemporaries. And over, uh, over Rick's 15 year career in professional basketball, he hit a remarkable 89.9% of his free throws. He had one year that he only missed five. 
To put that in context, last year, LeBron James missed 150. He's pretty good. So uh, 90%. For a long time, that, that was the best career free throw percentage of all time. Even today, 43 years since Rick has retired, it ranks fourth. And he's only behind by 0.2%. Stats don't lie. I love stats, if you can't tell. Uh, Rick Barry's grainy style shot, it works better. It's more effective than the cooler looking traditional free throw shot. From a, from a physics standpoint, there's just so much less that can go wrong. It's also much easier to repeat. And since the shot is, is so soft, it is much more likely to bounce off the rim and fall in rather than to bounce off the rim and, and uh, become a rebound. Now, admittedly, at first, Rick didn't want to use this shot either. But when he was in high school, his dad, who was a, a basketball coach, encouraged him to try it. He was already a good free throw shooter, but his dad thought that this could make him an excellent one. And so he went to his son, he said, just give it a shot. And he said, no, I can't. I'm going to look ridiculous. People are going to make fun of me. And Rick said his father said something to him that he never forgot. He said, son, they can't make fun of you if you're making them. Well, that stuck with Rick. And, and, and for the rest of his career, he shot underhanded. In fact, he even spent his retirement trying to evangelize this shot, trying to get others to adopt this unorthodox technique. I listened to a great interview uh, with, with Rick this week, uh, a podcast, and he tells a story about how he once tried to convince Shaquille O'Neal to switch over. Prime Shaquille O'Neal in the middle of his career was notorious for being, again, a horrible free throw shooter. And teams would, would target him at the end of close games because they knew it. They knew he was horrible. It was called the hack-a-shack. And so they would pull him out of games. Their star player, they'd have to pull him out because he could not shoot the ball. Well, Rick tried to convince him, and Shaq's response was, I would rather shoot 0% than ever do that. Rick said in, in the interview that it still baffles him today how few NBA players will consider adopting this shot. Like I said, the guy that you saw, that, that's everybody. They won't do it, even though it is genuinely better, because they're worried what people will think. Yes, Rick was worried in high school, but once he saw how effective the shot was, he never turned back. He learned how to say, so what? about them. And because he did, he is still one of the greatest free throw shooters of all time. Look, the, that's the attitude that we have to have when it comes to our callings. You know, over the course of this series, I've been encouraging, and I'm still encouraging you, all of us, to think about whatever it is God is calling you to next. What is God calling you to right now? It may be something small. It may be something really big. Maybe it's, it's like what we talked about last week. Maybe it's, it's kind of incorporating a new spiritual practice that is going to draw you closer to God, something to incorporate into your life. Maybe it's a mission to get involved with. You saw a great one in, in, in that video just a minute ago. Maybe it is something so entirely different that there's no way that I could list it off up here right now. 
But as we consider these things, we have to be sure that we don't let the perceptions of other people prevent us from going where God wants us to go. And that means that we have to be willing to say, so what about them? We have to be willing to do things that might be outside of the norm. There's a theory in sociology uh, called the threshold model of collective behavior. It was created by a Stanford professor and a sociologist, Mark Grandavetter, who's kind of like a rock star in the sociology world. That's my nerd is showing, I guess, but uh, and it, it, it sounds fancy, but what it essentially says is that we all have different thresholds required for us to get involved in any particular behavior. So for people with a low threshold, they only need a few other people to do something before they're willing to jump in. For people with a high threshold, they need everybody to be doing something before they're willing to jump in. Wilt Chamberlain had a really high threshold. He would have only ever adopted this shot if every other person was doing it. Rick Barry had a very low threshold. He didn't care who else was doing it as long as it worked. When it comes to following Jesus, we need to be more like Rick Barry and less like Wilt Chamberlain. Because you know what? There are going to be moments, many moments, when we need to have a low threshold. There are going to be times when there aren't a lot of people doing something and we have to be willing to risk looking silly or different because we know it's what Jesus would do or we know it's what God is calling us to. Jesus doesn't call it the wide road. He doesn't call it the, the eight-lane highway. He calls it the narrow road. Because it's not always, it's not often popular. And so for those of us, and I am one of them, I promise you, for those of us who struggle with the question, well, what about them? It's tough. We have to accept the fact that following Jesus is always going to be countercultural in some capacity. Because you know what? It is strange to love those who persecute you. And it's strange to turn the other cheek. And it's strange to forgive not seven times, but seven times, 70 times. It's strange to seek humility and anonymity. It's strange to practice silence and solitude and Sabbath. People may think we're strange. They may ask us all of the questions that Moses is afraid of in our passage. Every one of them. They may not believe us. They may not listen. But if the same God who turned a staff into a snake, if the same God who was almost thrown off a cliff in his own hometown, if that same God is calling you to something, calling you to one of these strange things, then so what about them? Our God is, is way bigger than the opinions of those around us. And our God's approval is way more valuable than the approval of any naysayers. Look, each one of us can spend our lives worried and questioning, what about them? What if they don't understand? What if they make fun of me? What if they don't listen? Or we can spend our lives saying, so what about them? I'm gonna do what my God calls me to. 
I'm going to be who he's calling me to be. I'm going to lower my threshold and I'm going to shoot this free throw, granny style. Hallelujah. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, we, we, we say it every week, but we confess yet again that we are a people who worry about lots of things. But one of those things is what others will think of us. We worry that, that we're not going to fit in, that we're going to look different. Lord, I pray that you would remind us tonight that different is good. Different is great. Lord, help us to be leaders. Help us... To, to go where you call us, no matter what, even if it looks strange to people, even if it looks like an underhanded free throw. Lord, we, we wanna go where you call us. We wanna be who you are calling us to be. So give us courage, give us confidence, give us marching orders. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.